Welcome to the Chase Podcast. Dr. Ron Charles is a renowned archaeologist, author, historian, speaker, missionary, and is known as the Christian Indiana Jones. Dr. Charles has spent over 50 years researching and uncovering truths about Jesus Christ and information that proves the historical authenticity of the Bible. Gleaned from his years of tireless research, ministry, and archaeological work as the pages of the Bible come to life like never before. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and information about this global ministry. Hello, I'm Dr. Ron Charles, and welcome to The Chase. You know, the life of Jesus is one of the most fascinating, if not the most fascinating, historical event that uh, that ever took place in the world. You know, we many times people have the opinion that history and the Bible don't go together, that one will always contradict the other. That's not true. Because for the last 43 years, we found uh, confirming information in history and archaeology that shows that the Word of God is absolute truth and that the story, this life of Jesus, is not only fascinating, but it's absolute truth on how the Gospels recorded it. And one of those stories we want to talk about today is in the book of Luke. And if you have your Bible, we'll We'll turn to the book of Luke on the fourth chapter. You know, many times when we're reading the Word of God, when we get to something that we don't really want to read, uh, don't think it's important enough or, or whatever, we just kind of skip over it in order to get to the good parts. And this particular story today that we're going to talk about is, is one of those. I'm, I'm sure that all of you have heard about the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, but not too many sermons have been preached about it. And not too many people really want to read about it. It's one of those things you kind of skip over to get to the, the good part. In this particular case, it was, it's right before the calling of, uh, of Peter and Andrew and James and John. So it, it, it's one of those things we'll, we'll skip over to get, in, order, in order to get to the calling. But there's something significant about it. There's 129 events concerning the life of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. 129 takes care of everything, takes care of his birth, his death, resurrection, his miracles, his teachings. Everything we know about Jesus is in these 129 events. But the author of the Gospel of John, the last verse, says that if all of everything was recorded concerning Jesus, then all the books in the entire world would not be able to contain it. Now, that's a lot of information, but yet we only have 129. To me, that means that these 129 were specifically, specifically chosen by God the Father to be preserved. To be preserved for our benefit in today's world, especially the 21st century. They were being preserved for us. And so each one of these events outside of Jesus' crucifixion his, uh, and his death, uh, which is head and shoulders above everything. But with exception of, uh, of that great thing with his sacrifice, all the other events that are recorded in the Gospels should be of equal value as far as importance is concerned. 
There's no such thing as important events and minor events. No such thing as major accomplishments and made in minor accomplishments. No such thing as a major teaching or a minor teaching. Because if it's in here, then it's one of the 129 events that have been preserved. And this healing of Peter's mother-in-law is here. And not only is it here, it's recorded in three of the Gospels, which makes it seem to be of vital importance. But now we need to figure out why. Why was this thing preserved, which seemingly of insignificance as far as the life of Jesus is concerned? Let's begin to read it, chapter number 4 of Luke, verse number 38. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great, great means deadly or or death uh, fever. And they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. And when the sun was setting all that were sick with diverse diseases and brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. Now this event took place in September of the year A.D. 27. And this was very close to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, certainly before the call of Matthew, before the call of uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And uh, that was the next major thing on his agenda. But this situation seems like, you know, uh, the woman had a, had a fever and Jesus healed her. No, nothing really important about that. It's it just very insignificant, seemingly, of all the things that Jesus did and said. But nothing could be further from the truth. The early church says that her name was Lucretia. This took place, as I said, in September of 27. But way back a few years before this, a couple of years before this, in January of the year 25, there was a disease that sprang up seemingly out of nowhere. At this time, the Romans were, had trade routes all over the world, even as far as China and India and what is now Nepal. It was out in that area that a disease kind of raised its head, very similar to what later became known as the bubonic plague. And this plague, which was uh, occurred at that time, which was similar to bubonic, they, uh, the characteristics of that is that the people would get, start getting nauseated and sick. And, uh, and as they continued to uh, get sick, then it, it, uh, they developed a, a rash, they began, developed chills, and before long, they would develop these tumors underneath their arms, on their neck, and in their groin area. And uh, eventually, these tumors would, would break open. 
And when the tumors broke open, then the fluid that was inside was in, inhaled by, uh, by the person, which caused the disease to go into the lungs. And, and uh, when that happens, it began to dissolve the internal organs, and uh, that brought on a fever. Now, once the fever was, uh, was there, then it was 100% uh, uh, deadly, and 100% contagious. There, there's no, uh, there, no one survived once the once the fever hit, and this thing hit in January of, of 25. They didn't realize what was going on at first because the disease was devastating, it was killing dozens of people, then hundreds of people. But finally, they realized that the disease looks like it was being carried uh, by the caravan itself. Uh, infected fleas were on the uh, on the body of the camels and the donkeys and the mules that were in the caravan. And as it continued, as it continued to move from the east, from the Nepal region, northern India region, uh, towards Rome, then it became more uh, devastating as it went, killing more and more people. Uh, finally, the, the word reached uh, Tiberius, the emperor of Rome, what was going on, the people that were being killed. And so uh, Tiberius sent his governor general of medicine. His name was Marcus Americus and sent him to the banks of the Euphrates River. And once the caravan got to the banks of the Euphrates River with uh, uh, with the demands of Tiberius Caesar himself through Marcus Americus, the caravan stopped on the eastern banks of the Euphrates River. And Tiberius told Americus, you find out what this disease is, how it's being spread, and how to stop it. So they stayed on the banks of the Euphrates River for three months. And uh, during that three-month period, um, there were a number of deaths. And it was while they were there that they discovered uh, something that was quite uh, helpful. They discovered that if you saw these tumors that was on the body and you cut them open, lanced those tumors, and then caught the fluid in a, in a cloth and then discarded the cloth, then the chances of recovery increased dramatically. But the problem was many of the people wore loose-fitting uh, clothing, and the tumors would appear and burst before they even realized they had them. And so that was a problem. Now, America's... Um, uh, began to use this system, and he saved the lives of many, many people who were affected. Eventually, the uh, kind of ran out of uh, 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 ran out of people to affect. It seems like because after about three and a half months on the banks of the Euphrates River, the disease seemed to have um, have uh, eliminated itself, and so. They uh, were allowed to continue. Americas went along with the caravan to, to see what, uh, to study it and what was going on. And then as they left the Euphrates going towards Damascus, then it picked up again. Because as they got new hosts, new uh, people that were out there, then the disease began to spread and people began to die again. 
Finally, Tiberius Caesar sent messages to Marcos Americus, the governor general of medicine for the Roman Empire. And he says, you make a stand in Damascus. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what it takes, how much money it takes. Make a stand and stop this disease from entering to Rome. Consequently, Americus made his so-called stand in Damascus. And as they made this stand in Damascus, what, what he did was quite unique. First of all, he made an inspection of every man, woman, boy, and girl from infant to elderly and from the highest level of, of, of mayor down to the lowest level of slave. Everyone in Damascus was inspected. And those that had the tumors, then they were lanced and the fluid was caught. But the ones that already had the fever associated with the disease, those were the problems. Because once you develop the fever, then it was 100% fatal and 100% uh, uh, catchy. Um, and so if, if uh, they, were, they were contagious. So if a person got near a person that had fever, they would get the disease. Americans did something that was unprecedented at the time, and we call it cruel today, but it did work. Those that had the fever, he would shut them up in their homes along with all their families, and anyone that could have breathed the same air that the people were breathing, who had the ability to touch the person, or have any relationship with that person, shut them all up in their homes, and then Americus himself would set the home on fire. It was cruel. It was something that we certainly would not want to do today, but it did work. You know, there were over 6,000 people in Damascus died as a result of those fire burnings, but far more than that would have died because of the disease. So the disease was stayed. He felt like it was okay to continue on, so they continued, and not long after they left Damascus, going heading toward Capernaum in uh, the region of the Galilee, the disease hit again, and others became infected. The first week of August of the year 27, the caravan entered the region of Capernaum. Now, on this particular day, uh, that Jesus, that we're talking about, this was a Sabbath day. And Jesus was in the synagogue. And he was there being involved with the rituals of the synagogue on that Sabbath day. Well, <clears throat> the, the caravan halted in, uh, in Capernaum for about a month or over a month. During that month period, 
the disease affected many, many people of Capernaum. And under Tiberius's direct order, it was not to leave Capernaum. It was to stay there. And so <clears throat> people of Capernaum began to develop the same type of disease. And unfortunately, Peter's mother-in-law was one of those. You know, Metro-Golden-Mayer and 20th Century Fox tell us that this uh, event uh, took place uh, and it was uh, not really a major thing as she had a cold and, and, uh, and Jesus healed her and she got up and started uh, helping the people. But nothing could be further from the truth. Lucretia developed the disease. When Jesus was in the synagogue, she probably had not yet uh, obtained the fever. But while he was in there, messengers were sent. And he said, now Lucretia has a fever. You must come. Well, Jesus had a choice. Lucretia had fever now, which meant that she was 100% contagious. 100%. If anyone came within uh, any distance of her at all, that, of the air that she was breathing, and the air that she was uh, expelling back, they would catch the disease. 100% contagious and fatal. There's no way she's gonna survive. This was going to kill her. Jesus knew that, but he came anyway. Jesus put his own life in jeopardy. His own life in jeopardy for the benefit of this woman, a woman that the Bible doesn't even name her name. We have to look at early church history to see what her name was. But Jesus came anyway. Now comes the records, the Roman records that we now have of Americus. He picked up the story from that point. And he says, the rabbi from the Galilee, the man that's called Jesus. I was at the home. I had torch in hand. And I was ready to torch the home of the woman and her family who were gathered there. Now this would have been Peter and Peter's wife and all those who were there. They, they were there in the house. He said, as I was going to use the torch on the home, then the rabbi approached, the rabbi known as Jesus. Contrary to my instructions and contrary to my own well wishes for him, he entered the home. Now, Jesus was in a position now to be burned alive along with all the rest of them. He was going to be, he was going to become a victim of this disease, not by the disease itself, by the results of the disease, the burning. There was no choice. This was Roman law by direct pop, uh, proclamation of the emperor himself. When Jesus entered that home, then for all practical purposes, 
Jesus was a dead man. Not only because he was contagious, he would have been acceptable to the uh, susceptible to the disease, but because he was going to be burned. He wasn't going to be able to get out of that house. Now, even in the recovery from this disease, once the, the tumors are lanced and the infectious fluid discarded, people are still very lifeless and, and can't do anything for about uh, five to seven days. They just kind of lay around and do nothing. But Jesus entered into that home, absolute, total, complete, undisputed death. But he did it anyway. And Jesus stood over this mother-in-law, Lucretia, took her by the hand and raised her up in total and complete healing. And she didn't stay lifeless for the next five to seven days. She got up immediately and began to minister, began to help, began to cook dinner, serve drinks or whatever to them. And part of that was to Marcus Americus. And he was recording this information made explicit notes on what was happening, as he did with everyone. Every home that he set fire to, he made notes about it and recorded the events. And this was no different. And then he made a continued remark concerning Jesus. He says the word spread throughout the city. What was happening and what was taking place at the home where Lucretia was healed. He said people started coming from around the city. They started bringing beds, and people started coming who had the disease. And Jesus healed them like he did Lucretia. And then he made a statement. He says, on this day in the city of Capernaum, in the region of the Galilee, on this day, the disease was stayed. It stopped dead still in its tracks. If it would have continued on to Rome, it could have taken the lives of over a million people, perhaps even more. So because Jesus had no fear of death, putting his own life in jeopardy to come to the uh, to the rescue of a woman seemingly of insignificance, then Jesus, by doing that act, also saved the lives of another million non-believers, pagan Romans, through the spillover. But that's not the end of the story. Because the the... Not only did the disease stop at that point, but that particular disease did not make its appearance again into the Roman Empire until the early part of the fourth century. So for 300 years, the disease was stopped because Jesus 
came to the rescue of a woman who is hopeless. What is the death in your family today? Maybe it's a diagnosis of cancer, a heart attack. Maybe it's a death of a marriage, a death of a job, death of a business. The attorneys have already said there's no hope. Bankruptcy, that's what you have to have. The attorneys have said, no, you need to get your act together, divide up your assets, this marriage is over. But you know, Jesus came to bring healing to certain death. I'm not saying that he will restore everything, and I'm not saying that he is going to turn things around for you. But I do know this, that if you never come to him, it won't be turned around. Give him a chance. Even though it's absolute guaranteed death, give him a chance. Lucretia would have never been healed had not they came to get Jesus in the synagogue. And he heard and he turned and went. They had to approach him first. So even in your death and the death situation in your life, come to Jesus anyway. Give him a chance. See what he can do. So many times over in the Middle East, we're ministering to these persecuted believers. They are facing death. We've been there with them. The time that the knife slid across the throat, or the bullet went into the brain. We were there. And they did give Jesus a chance. Sometimes they went on to eternity. Other times they were spared because they came to Jesus. And so whatever your situation is today, that certain death that's in your family, call upon him, give him a chance. And give these people a chance over there in the Middle East. Pray for them. Five minutes a day, that's what we're asking. They're Muslim by birth, Christian by choice, but they're persecuted for the cause of Christ. Five minutes a day is all we're asking for you to do. Dedicate it to prayer for the persecuted believers. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. The Chase with Dr. Ron Charles is sponsored by supporters of the Cubit Foundation. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and discover how you can support this global ministry.